the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. I hope you had a great holiday weekend. Glad to be back live in studio this week. We want to begin with some of the day's um, highlights. And later in the five o'clock hour, we're going to share with you the Christian Outlook featuring some of the uh, national talk show hosts from across the country associated with Salem. Well, in an emotional press conference on Sunday night, Atlanta's mayor, Keisha Lance Bottoms, she issued a full-throated call for citizens to shop, stop shooting each other, to stop shooting each other on the streets after an eight-year-old girl was shot and killed on the 4th of July near a Wendy's that's become a flashpoint for anti-police Black Lives Matter protests in the city. Bottoms is a Democrat. She is considered a potential running mate for Joe Biden. She made the remarks as she fought through tears and the nation endured a new rash of violence in cities nationwide in the largest cities across the country. Sixty three people were injured, 17 killed in Chicago, including two children there over the weekend. And in New York City, 44 were hurt, at least six killed. Enough is enough, Bottoms said. And of course, that's what lots of people are thinking, if not saying it out loud. Enough is enough. We've talked about this movement that's happened across America and this moment in time when we have the ears and the interests of people across the country and across this globe who are saying they want to see change. But the difference in this moment, in the time with the civil rights movement, the civil rights movement, there was a defined common enemy. We're fighting the enemy within when we are shooting each other on our own streets. Meanwhile, as I mentioned, New York uh, experienced eight killings there on the 4th of July weekend. Also, record high background checks indicate public fear over the defund police uh, movement, according to gun rights activists. Former Vice President Joe Biden and current uh, Democratic presidential nominee tweeted Sunday night that if he gets elected, his administration won't just rebuild this nation, will transform it. I've heard that phrase used before, raising speculation online about what exactly in the country will be transformed. Now, President uh, Obama used a similar phrase. Um, The tweet comes after a a politically charged Fourth of July weekend as the country works to manage a new surge of COVID-19 cases and tries to emerge from weeks of tense protests that have resulted in a widening divide between Democrats and Republicans. The uh, candidates' tweets didn't specify what exactly he means by transforming the country. His critics from the left have expressed concern that he served in the upper echelon of government for over 40 years and didn't um, help solve these major issues in the past. His critics from the right insist that a Biden White House will take marching orders from Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, wing of the party. In other developments, a possible Biden vice presidential pick has dodged questions on taking down George Washington statues. And Andrew McCarthy says President Biden would be music to Russian and Taliban ears. 
Tony Award-nominated actor Nick Cordero, 41, has died after a battle with the coronavirus that stretched for months, according to his wife, in an announcement made on Sunday night. Amanda Klutz wrote on Instagram, God has another angel in heaven now. My darling husband passed away this morning. He was surrounded in love by his family, singing and praying as we gently, as he gently left this earth. I am in disbelief and hurting everywhere. My heart is broken and I cannot imagine our lives without him. Cordero entered the intensive care unit of Cedars Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles on the 31st of March and had been on a ventilator and unconscious after contracting COVID-19. His fight has consisted of a leg amputation and multiple mini strokes while battling several other ailments. And other related developments, Texas coronavirus hospitalizations has hit a new daily high and U.S. coronavirus cases dipped as the world set a record for new cases in 24 hours. President Trump's camp announced several, uh, rather a second rally since the virus outbreak. More details to follow. Stocks futures are pointing to gains as new uh, the new week began and New York City coronavirus lockdowns has been lifted for nail salons, tattoo parlors, tanning on Monday, but not indoor dining. An extra $600 a week in unemployment insurance is no longer needed, we're being told, by Labor Secretary Scalia, and will no longer be available. In other news, the mayor of Atlanta has finally admitted it's time to stop the armed occupiers. Deaths continue to drop even as COVID-19 new cases are up. As some graphs online can show you, COVID-19 cases peaked on Friday or Saturday, depending on the source, and started back down. Uh, the uh, death rate is now down where it was um, from where it was in late March. Well, Planned Parenthood supporters suddenly acknowledge the organization was founded on racism. It's apparently news to them, but not to others of us. A letter signed by more than 350 current and former staffers of Planned Parenthood of Greater New York, as well as about 800 donors, supporters and volunteers, declared that the founder, Margaret Sanger, was a racist white woman and that the organization suffers from institutional racism. Uh, we know that Planned Parenthood has a history and a uh, presence steeped in white supremacy, and we, the staff, are motivated to do the difficult work needed to improve the June 18th open letter uh, from the staff said. Now, interestingly enough, the pro-life movement has been making this uh, announcement for quite some time. Now that there are employees who feel that they've been mistreated, they're suddenly no longer interested in addressing this issue, or, or now they're interested in addressing this issue. My uh, suggestion would be the best response to counter Margaret Sanger would to close Planned Parenthood altogether that was steeped in eugenicist uh, the movement of the time and the racist views of not only Margaret Sanger, but others instrumental in its founding. 16 dead, 69 wounded in shootings this weekend in Chicago. The story runs down the latest string of shootings in the deadly city from Dan Proft. He points out the progress. 16 dead, 67 shot. This is what progressive means by progress. From another story, a low rate in the uh, uh, in the solving murders, it hovers at around 20 percent. So these are crimes that have already been committed. And the lack of protection for witnesses both play into the continued high murder rate, according to a criminologist. Murderers don't expect to get caught and witnesses feel intimidated, they said. The Chicago Police Department let its community policing program wither about two decades ago, says another observer, Wesley Scoggin of the Institute for Policy Research at Northwestern University. Now young police officers canvassing unfamiliar blocks have found that residents do not open their doors out of fear of being seen talking to a police officer. And while going through uh, starting numbers, 
Uh, Kevin McCullough points out that in only six weeks, city after city operated by entrenched Democrats have seen a massive expansion of lawlessness, violence and murder. Stunningly, many news outlets seem uh, unwilling or unable or mystified at how or why such an explosion of lawlessness has occurred, which is uh, breathtaking in and of itself. The uh, former vice president to the NEA, teachers ahead of students. The Wall Street Journal reports that teachers first, that's the philosophy of the Democratic candidate, put it on a bumper sticker, Mr. Biden, and hope people don't notice. The corollary is that students, and especially poor and minority students, come second. Well, Frederick Douglass, uh, the statue was vandalized. The story notes the statue of the famed 19th century former slave and antebellum abolitionist, was torn down and tossed into a gorge, once again reinforcing the notion that many of these protesters have no idea what they're doing and who they're doing it to. They don't know the history. ABC News notes that a luxury car killed a Black Lives Matter protester on the freeway, which, by the way, is illegal to protest on a freeway for reasons this incident makes fully uh, clear. A young protester died from injuries she suffered when a luxury car, making emphasis on the luxury car, because the driver was not Caucasian, the luxury car became the focus of attention. A luxury car plowed into her and another woman during a Black Lives Matter protest Saturday on a Seattle freeway that has been shut down for days due to the civil unrest because they can't keep them off the freeway. Uh, Why note it was a luxury car? Not mentioned in the story. The driver was black. The BLM protester killed was white. So the scenario dictates what facts are going to be reported. And new Virginia law forces Christian photographers to work for gay weddings. You cannot refuse. Starting in July, if Chris offers his photography skills to celebrate weddings between one man and one woman, Virginia law also requires him to take photographs and post uh, blogs on his own website celebrating same-sex weddings. Um, Not only that, but Chris cannot explain on his website his religious beliefs for not photographing same-sex weddings. If Chris exercises his religious and artistic freedom in these ways, he faces steep penalties. In fact, he could be subject to initial fines of up to $50,000, subsequent fines of up to $100,000, and unlimited attorney's fees and damages. Altogether, these monetary penalties could quickly exceed a million dollars. Now, I don't know about you, but most photographers who are taking pictures at weddings don't uh, approach a million dollar um, salary in the course of a year. But now his freedom has been wiped out. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We're going to continue to take a look at some of the news over the last uh, several days. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. In our second hour, I want to let you know we're going to give you an opportunity to hear the Christian Outlook, a program that is produced weekly and features talk show hosts from all across the country. I had the opportunity to host this week's program. We'll share that with you in the five o'clock hour. Right now, we're taking a look at some of the news stories of uh, the last several days. Well, contrary to claims from both Chinese officials and the World Health Organization, China did not report the existence of the coronavirus in late 2019, according to a WHO timeline. That's the World Health Organization timeline tracking the spread of the virus. The Washington Free Beacon reports, rather, international health officials discovered the virus through information posted to a U.S. website. The quest, uh, the, rather the quiet admission from the International Health Organization, which posted an updated timeline to the website this week, flies in the face of claims from some of the top officials, including World Health Organization Director General, who maintained for months that China had informed his organization about the emerging sickness. 
Hmm. Well, speaking of China, according to the Daily Caller, the China's, uh, Chinese private equity firm BHR Partners updated its business records on the 20th of April to remove Hunter Biden as a member of its board of directors. But he continues to hold a 10 percent ownership stake in the company through his LLC. Chinese business records show Hunter Biden continues to hold a 10 percent equity stake in BHR despite a pledge in December from his father, former Vice President Joe Biden, that none of his family members would be engaged in any foreign business if he is elected president in November. Well, he hasn't yet been elected, so that may explain that. Rushmore will stand forever, President Trump declared, condemning the anti-founding protesters in South Dakota. And the New York Times ripped uh, for describing Trump's Mount Rushmore speech as dark and divisive. It's actually quite inspirational. Trump announces plans to create National Garden, honoring the greatest Americans to ever live, and a direct threat to the Democratic Party's stronghold on black voters. Kanye West says he's running for president. Now, we don't know if he's running for president or just trying to sell product. Either way, he's throwing his hat, proverbial hat, in the ring. Well, President Trump is going to hold an outdoor New Hampshire rally on the 11th of this month, while the former vice president remains perpetually sequestered, according to Fox News. And his top, um, Joe Biden, rather, tops Donald Trump in fundraising for the second straight month with $141 million to $131 million, respectively, according to USA Today. The Supreme Court has agreed to hear legal showdown over the Mueller grand jury materials, and the Los Angeles Times publishes the Beijing-funded propaganda um, for profit, Baltimore's mayor has uh, defended vandals who toppled the Christopher Columbus statue on the 4th of July. And the governor of Maryland is urging Baltimore leaders to regain control of their own streets after Colum- the statue of Columbus was toppled. The Atlanta mayor is unloaded after an eight-year-old child was killed near a Black Lives Matter protest site. You can't blame this on the police, she says. And racists baiting racists. Armed protesters demonstrate in front of the Confederate carving on Stone Mountain. Black Lives Matter protesters filmed dancing on the American flag in the Washington, D.C. area and the Frederick Douglass statue in New York, former slave and antebellum abolitionist, was removed uh, from the base and damaged. The Senate has approved sanctions against Chinese officials over the Hong Kong law. And with Beijing's military nearby, the U.S. is sending two aircraft carriers to the South China Sea. Niagara Falls region has become ground zero in the coronavirus era war on drugs. Speaking of health, putting the coronavirus surge in Florida in context, uh, the Daily Signal points out what went wrong. And Texas governor, uh, Texas governor has mandated masks in most counties. A new pandemic guidance in California is banning singing in churches and extended lockdowns pose a serious threat to mental health. The Daily Signal points out. Colin Kaepernick uh, condemned July 4th as a celebration of white supremacy and the NFL's Washington Redskins and MLB's Cleveland Indians are rethinking their names. And in a report from Sports Illustrated, the NFL is going to play black national anthem prior to week one games. Minnesota's governor is asking the president for disaster declaration after the George Floyd riots triggered over $500 million in damages. Sanctuary, uh, sanctuary cities, statutory sanctuary city, Ohio town is offering uh, to house any statues other cities remove. So statuary, sanctuary city. And Ohio town. The U.S. population growth is driven only by minorities, with the white population declining for the first time in the nation's history, according to the new census data, the U.K. Daily Mail reports. 
Um, also, there is outrage after the California, this, the governor, Gavin Newsom, has banned singing and chanting, and how I'm not sure how much chanting is going on, in houses of worship uh, due to a surge in coronavirus cases. Places of worship must therefore discontinue singing and chanting activities and limit indoor attendance to 25% of building capacity for a maximum of 100 attendees, whichever is lower, the new guidance says. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention officials point to singing as a proven way to spread a virus as the Golden State recorded more than 11,700 new COVID-19 cases on Sunday, the highest single-day count for any state with over 271,000 confirmed cases and at least 6,300 deaths. Well, with the stroke of the governor's pen, Mississippi is retiring the last state flag in the U.S. with a Confederate battle emblem, a symbol that's widely condemned as racist. The AP reports Republican Governor Tate Reeves signed the historic bill last Tuesday at the governor's mansion, immediately removing official status for the 126-year-old banner that has been a source of division for generations. Frankly, it was time, unlike the debate over monuments, many of which were erected in an attempt toward reconciliation following the war between the states. The Mississippi flag was due for a makeover because its blueprint was based at least in some measure on Uh, displaying the state's continued prejudice toward blacks. Tim Scott, who is an African-American Republican, uh, the Republican Party's lone black senator, uh, has refused to toe the line for Democrats, uh, is exceptionally bold. But his conservative bona fides also assist in exposing uh, leftist dogma. According to the Washington Examiner, the senator said liberals flooded his inbox with hateful messages following his fiery speech on the stalled passage of his police reform legislation in the Senate last week. Scott told Fox News' Martha McCallum that we had more than a dozen messages which were the most racially offensive comments from liberals in this country that called to say that I was in their crosshairs. He further elaborated, it was so profanity-laced you can't play five seconds of those videos on your show because there's that much, well, I won't even say the uh, beginning letters of the offensive words by these individuals. Uh, it's the most audacious, repugnant behavior I've seen in a very long time, he said. That sounds par for the course, coming from members of the slavery-scarred Democrat Party, end quote. Well, on this day in history, 1535, Sir Thomas More is executed in England for high treason, He was a man of his word, a man of integrity. 1854, an anti-slavery convention is held at Under the Oaks in Jackson, Michigan. The convention results in the founding of the Republican Party's original platform and the first state, uh, rather slate, of candidates. 1933, the first MLB, Major League Baseball, all-star game is held in Chicago. And 1944, on this day, an estimated 168 people die in a fire that breaks out during a performance of the main tent of the Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus in Hartford, Connecticut. 1945, President Harry S. Truman signs an executive order establishing the Medal of Freedom. 1971, legendary jazz trumpeter and singer Louis Armstrong dies in New York at 69. And 1988, a massive explosion at the Piper Alpha oil drilling platform in the North Sea kills 167 people. We're going to take a break in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. When we return, we'll talk about the Supreme Court's uh, several rulings uh, came out over the last several days. We'll tell you the latest. Also, we'll talk about the special session concluded last week of the Oregon legislature and what's next. And we're learning that the coronavirus infections are rising fastest among kids younger than 10. 
dimming prospects for Oregon's school reopening plans. All of that when we return in just a few moments. Again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the Supreme Court has released several decisions over the last several days, and I wanted to pass those along to you. Uh, the first was uh, announced just today. They ruled states can sanction or remove faithless presidential electors. Now, that may not seem significant to you and I sitting in our homes while we're sheltering in place, but the Supreme Court on Monday upheld state laws that require those chosen for the Electoral College, which has been much uh, debated these days, to back the popular winner in their state's presidential race. It's a rebuke of a group of so-called faithless presidential electors in Washington and Colorado who sued after they were sanctioned for voting contrary to pledges they took before becoming electors. Now, they take a pledge, and they chose uh, on an individual basis to violate those pledges. The Supreme Court, in a 9-0 to ruling, said that those sanctions in Washington, a fine, and in Colorado being removed and replaced as an elector, are unconstitutional, or rather are constitutional. The case came after a group of Democratic electors that called themselves the Hamilton electors voted for moderate Republicans instead of Hillary Clinton in 2016 in an unsuccessful effort to convince Republican electors to vote for somebody besides President Trump. Well, among the devices uh, states have long used to achieve their object are pledge laws designed to impress on electors their role as agents of others. That's a quote from Justice Elena Kagan in her court opinion. That's uh, That direction uh, accords with the Constitution as well as with the trust of a nation uh, that here we, the people, rule. In another decision that came out last Monday, the Supreme Court struck down restrictions on abortion opposed by the state of Louisiana. Now, the law there required abortion practitioners to have admitting privileges to a hospital no further than 30 miles from the abortion clinic. It was a 5-4 ruling. Chief Justice John Roberts sided once again with liberal justices to declare the law unconstitutional. Well, according to plaintiffs in the case, the Louisiana's um, law restrictions would have allowed just one doctor in the entire state to perform abortions. About 10,000 women per year currently seek abortion procedures in the state. So it wasn't so much whether or not it was constitutional, which is their charge, but whether or not it was convenient for those living in the area. Now, Roberts and the group of liberal justices said that the Louisiana law imposed similar restrictions to those of a previous law in Texas, which the Supreme Court had struck down in 2016. Justice Clarence Thomas wrote in his dissent, and I'm quoting, plaintiff's sole claim before the court is that Louisiana's law violates the purported substantive due process right of a woman to abort her unborn child. But they concede that this right does not belong to them and they seek to vindicate no private rights of their own. The justice added, our abortion precedents are grievously wrong and should be overruled. Well, that was not the case in this decision by the U.S. Supreme Court. Then on Tuesday, the court struck down a state ban on taxpayer funding for religious schools. Now, this um, uh, this ban is a narrow but significant win for the school choice movement. The decision was 5-4. It was authored by Chief Justice John Roberts. The court essentially backed a Montana tax credit scholarship program that gave residents up to $150 credit for donating to private scholarship organizations, helping students pay for their choice of private school. Well, the state's revenue department made a rule banning those tax credit scholarships from going to religious schools before the state Supreme Court later struck down the entire program. 
A state need not subsidize private education, but once a state decides to do so, it cannot disqualify some private schools solely because they are religious. Now, these are schools that are chosen by the individual families. Roberts wrote in the court's opinion. Under the program, a family receiving a scholarship originally could use it at any qualified education provider, which the court's opinion noted means any private school that meets uh, certain accreditation Uh, testing and safety requirements. Well, the Montana Department of Revenue, citing the state constitution, then changed the definition of qualified education provider to exclude those owned or controlled in whole or in part by any church, religious sect, or denomination. Well, that decision, which the state attorney general disagreed with, was based on a uh, no-aid clause in the state constitution, which bars the state from giving aid to schools controlled in whole or in part by a church, sect, or denomination. The Supreme Court, however, made it quite clear that that will not be the case in that state and will have uh, uh, implications for other uh, school choice um, options in the future across the country. Meanwhile, here at home, Governor Kate Ground commended legislatures uh, for taking action during the 2020 first special session on a number of priority pieces of legislation, including bills for police accountability and reforms, as well as bills extending protections for Oregonian families against residential and commercial evictions and foreclosures. Governor Brown convened the special session to improve police accountability and address issues impacting Oregonian families during the COVID-19 pandemic. In police accountability, several pieces of legislation, Senate Bill 1604, limits the ability of an arbitrator to overturn police discipline when a law enforcement agency uses a discipline guide. Uh, HB 4201 established a legislative joint committee to examine use of force and transparency in law enforcement. Uh, 4205 directed the Department of Public Safety Standards and Training to adopt rules requiring police officers to intervene to stop certain acts of misconduct, such as excessive force or acts of discrimination. Officers who report misconduct should not face retaliation. Again, that's against other fellow officers. Another bill directed the departments to establish a statewide database for police officers whose state certification had been suspended or revoked. Another piece of legislation limits the use of tear gas by law enforcement for crowd control unless uh, events have been declared a riot, which is, you know, another way of uh, the the governor um, failing to protect law enforcement in the case of public and private property being destroyed. Another piece of legislation limits the use of force by police officers that would impede breathing or blood circulation unless circumstances would justify deadly force. Uh, In other um, legislation having to do with evictions and foreclosures, one uh, House bill uh, codified the moratorium on residential and commercial evictions the governor first put in place through executive order that allows working families to stay in their apartments and homes and small businesses to continue operating. The bill also creates a payback period to give Oregonians time to catch back up on payments they've missed. I'm not sure what uh, landlords and business um, uh, facility owners are to do in the interim. Uh, if they are not receiving compensation. Another was creating a moratorium on foreclosures so people in small businesses who are late on their mortgage payments don't lose their home or place of business while they are working to get back on track. There was some other legislation, one having to do with uh, COVID-19, House Bill 4212, and it implements a number of COVID-19 response measures, including protecting the CARES Act payments from garnishment, Uh, So federal dollars go directly into people's pockets and allow local governments to continue operating while providing public access through remote and virtual meetings. And um, 
And I thought it was rather interesting that the um, effort to increase the cell phone tax in the dead of night did make it quite easily through the legislature. One week notice, the politicians called themselves into a special closed door special session. The coronavirus made it so lawmakers could close the doors and forbid the public from watching what they were doing, what was going on. The lack of capital staff meant that lawmakers were not answering their phones. A hasty uh, telephone call in for public testimony on nearly a dozen drafted bills, some of which I've mentioned uh, was set two days before the session, and because of these um, virus limitations, lawmakers should have increased transparency and op- uh, openness in other ways, but they chose not to. Instead, they abused the process by ramming a brand new cell phone tax down people's throats. Well, the politicians said they needed a $5 million um, pay, uh, payout for rural broadband, but kept secret the $67 million the federal government pledged for the uh, exact same project. The politicians wanted the cell phone tax no matter how small they claim because they now can raise it uh, higher and more often as much as they uh, want to down the road. Another piece of legislation you may or may not have been aware of. Also, you should know that um, one special session down, but a second is coming. We're not sure when that might be, but uh, the governor says that she will hold off on an official call until mid-July following last last week's three-day session that saw the passage of legislation to deal with police accountability, uh, after effects of the coronavirus pandemic, and a few other issues. State economists have projected a shortfall of $2.7 billion resulting from reduced business activity and income tax collection for the two-year $23.7 billion uh, budget from the general fund and lottery Proceeds, education, health and human services and public safety accounts uh, for some of the 90 percent of that spending. Virtually all of that shortfall affects the second half of the budget cycle that ends or actually ended Wednesday, July the 1st. So a special a second special session is very likely in the offing. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in the second hour of the program, we're going to share with you a compilation of interviews from talk show hosts, Salem hosts from all across the country, The Christian Outlook. That's coming up in the five o'clock hour. Well, in speaking of the legislature, I don't want to miss announcing the Oregon Right to Life's piece of legislation that they had been um, championing. Senate Bill 1606 unanimously passed the Oregon legislature. It was a bipartisan effort. It was uh, driven by Senator Sarah uh, Gelser of Corvallis. And the bill will protect Oregonians with disabilities who need to be admitted to hospitals during this pandemic. All Oregonians deserve advocates, particularly those who cannot advocate for themselves. That's a quote from Lois Anderson. We were proud to join this effort to require hospitals to allow admittance of patient designated advocates during this pandemic. As you know, if you are uh, going into a hospital, if you're having a procedure, you do that by yourself. You're not allowed to have a comforter, if you will, with you, a family member and so on. They will greet you as you exit the hospital but are not permitted to join you prior to the procedure in your room. Um, that is not the case now for those with disabilities during the pandemic. This short session was under extreme pressure, including time, uh, Lois Anderson points out. She says, I'm thankful for the hundreds of Oregonians who on short notice sent nearly a 1,000 emails supporting the bill. 
when we asked them to. I'm grateful our legislators prioritized such a vital issue. During this pandemic, draconian hospital visitor uh, policies have denied Oregonians with disabilities access to the people they trust to facilitate their care and assist with disability-related needs, and it goes on from there. Senator uh, Gelser, in her uh, press release, pointed out that alone in the hospital, they have faced increased pressure to consent to do not resuscitate and do not intubate uh, orders and have been denied accommodations to participate in their own care planning. One patient was even denied a ventilator until Disability Rights Oregon intervened. Well, in the face of such discrimination, many people with disabilities have elected to avoid or delay medical care. Others died alone in the hospital after they did seek that care. Well, Senate Bill 1606 will go into effect immediately after being signed by the governor, expected sometime this week. So that was another piece of legislation passed during this short session. We learned uh, last week that coronavirus cases among Oregon children younger than 10 grew five-fold during the month of June. Now, that can be somewhat misleading because if you only have one case and it increases five-fold, we're talking about a very low number. But nonetheless, uh, it represents the fastest-growing rate of new or presumed infections across any age range. Well, state public health officials said the increase is largely due to unidentified transmission within the community, although outbreaks at daycares also are playing a small role. The Oregon Health Authority on Tuesday reported 319 confirmed or presumed coronavirus infections among children younger than 10. The number uh, as of May the 31st stood at just 58. So from 58 May 31st, to 319 today. Young children still represent the smallest overall share of cases in Oregon, and young children are among the least likely to need hospitalization with only eight such patients and no deaths. But the um, the surge is concerning for state public health officials who say that without correction, it could dim the prospects for having children in school uh, in the fall. I hope that the increasing uh, Cases among children will lead people to reevaluate their behavior and to take additional precautions, uh, Dr. Sutton, a senior health advisor at the Oregon Health Authority, points out. So this may be a determining factor in what happens in the fall, uh, which certainly has all kinds of uh, impacts uh, that ripple downward as well uh, with regard to school. Well, Frederick Douglass may be a name you're familiar with, maybe not, but Frederick Douglass was not a slave owner. He was not a feder- Confederate general. He wasn't even a white abolitionist. His statue still was vandalized over the weekend. A Douglas statue in Rochester, New York, the site of his famous July 4th address, was damaged and removed over the uh, Independence Day weekend, according to reports backed by social media pictures of the site. It is sickening to me. Well, the statue of the famed 19th century former slave and antebellum abolitionist had stood at Maplewood Park. Uh, according to uh, pictures, the statue's base Um, was uh, gone and bits of it were scattered around the area. The statue itself was simply discarded into a nearby ravine. Well, the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle, citing the statement from local police, reported that the statue itself was taken away, placed over the fence to to the gorge and was leaning against the fence on the riverside. There was damage to the lower part of it. Douglas is perhaps the most uh, famous black abolitionist in American history, That is, of course, if you know anything about American history. And his best-known speech is an 1852 Independence Day address to the Rochester Anti-Slavery Sewing Society called What to the Slave is the Fourth of July. It's frequently read and spoken at Independence Day ceremonies, and in fact, a group of his great-great-grandchildren recited it over this holiday uh, just a couple of days ago. 
uh, reread at ceremonies around the country as a reminder of both the imperfections of America's founders and the nation's potential to fulfill its promise. But that didn't make any difference. Frederick Douglass, like so many others, had to go. And then perhaps never before have the perverse priorities of the Black Lives Matter movement in its various expressions across the country been so thoroughly exposed as they were this weekend in Atlanta with the tragic death of an eight-year-old girl, an eight-year-old girl shot to death. That little girl was fatally shot near the spot where Rayshard Brooks was killed last month by Atlanta police. But the two deaths could hardly be more dissimilar. Brooks was a 27-year-old with a history of violence, resisting arrest, punched a police officer. You know the rest of the story. This little girl who was killed near the charred remains of that Wendy's restaurant and parking lot where uh, Brooks was killed was an innocent black child with a lifetime ahead of her. Well, maybe this can be a tipping point, a breaking away from the self-destructive demonization of police officers to a sober assessment of the real issue plaguing black communities across the country. Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms finally seems to think it's time, as the Atlanta uh, Journal-Constitution reports, her saying, enough is enough. She said in an emotional press conference at Atlanta Police Headquarters, in which the mayor and family members of this eight-year-old girl urged people to come forward with information about her killers. I'm just asking you to please honor this baby's life, the mayor said. Please, if you know who did this, please turn them in. These people are a danger to all of us. Well, Mayor Bottoms, surrounded by the little girl's mother and other family members, blamed her death on the assailants, armed individuals. Black Lives Matter protesters have staked their own ground near the Wendy's restaurant, congregating there for weeks since Brooks' death. One wonders how this little girl's death will affect the hearts and minds of those protesters. She just wanted to get home to see her cousins, said her father, before uh, stating the cold, hard truth about his daughter's death. They say Black Lives Matter. You killed one of your own, speaking of this eight-year-old girl. Well, the question remains, um, are we prepared to decide whether we want to save America and in what form? America, as you know, is in crisis. Her destiny is on the line, and uh, she's going to survive only if we still uh, love what she stands for, recognizing the shortcomings, but insisting on the promise that is made in our founding documents and our Declaration of Independence. A battle rages in the streets, in academia, in uh, the culture, in the hearts and minds of the American people over whether America was and remains a good and great nation. And can it become a better and even greater nation? That's the question. Over time, anti-libertarian forces have chipped away at the document's integrity and its guaranteed freedoms. I'm referring to the Constitution crafted to maximize man's freedom, not just by paying flowery lip service to the concept on hallowed parchment, but by containing concrete limitations on government to ensure its realization. Now, me, an African-American woman, I want to inherit every promise that's made in those documents rather than jettison them, rather than simply toss them away for some socialist utopia. I want to enjoy and I want future generations to enjoy every promise that's been made. On that promissory note, as Dr. Martin Luther King referred uh, to our founding documents, in order that we might experience the freedom and prosperity that was intended. The question is, are we willing, have we decided that we want to save America?
And we're going to take a break for news and traffic at the top of the hour. When we return, we'll listen for the Christian Outlook. I had the honor of hosting that program this uh, this week, and you'll have an opportunity to hear from Salem hosts from across the country. So stay with us. News and traffic up next. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.